something on it. No, I have something on it. <laughs> I have something on it that I wanted to, to mention. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we're going to actually end this series with Amy. You're, you're, you're our last one this, this, uh, this, this I'm month. I'm wrapping so. it up. Yeah. Um, a couple quick things before we jump into uh, Amy's testimony we share about her story is uh, number one is that on Wednesday, October 9th, where's Bonnie? Bonnie's not in here. Wednesday, October 9th is the next uh, women's uh, meeting. We'll be at Bonnie's house and uh, that's at 7 o'clock? 6 o'clock? 6.30? 6.30? Okay, 6.30. I'm not a woman, so I'm not there. Uh, but yeah, 6.30 at Bonnie's house is the next ladies' uh, uh, women's group. And then also home group is uh, Wednesday. This Wednesday we'll have home group. The following Wednesday we will not have home group because of the ladies meeting, but this Wednesday we will have home group. Um, and so that will be at our home starting at 7 o'clock and we'll continue on. Uh, yeah, it's always been 7. Uh-huh. No, it's 7. It's 7 o'clock, so come on, Joyce. If you want to come at 6.30, you can come at 6.30 and spend some time with us. That's fine. You, you can come at 6.30 and bring yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you come at six thirty, you gotta bring food, Teresa. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, or that—that that works too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put you to work in the chickens. Uh, no. So I. I'm excited to have Amy share her testimony today, and and uh, when she's done sharing her testimony, I have just a couple things that we'll talk about in terms of uh, the testimony portion, and just to wrap up this sermon series. But um, without further ado, this is Amy. Hello. Hello, so. hello. I think it's on. I thought I turned it on. Yeah, it's on. It's on. I don't She's. Think you can hear it. It's the blue one. Whatever. Two, one, two. There you go. There yeah. You go. Okay. All right, Amy. All right. So, um, many of you know me, but if you don't know a lot about me, I grew up here in Ritztown um, and went to Ritztown all through my school years. And was initially, as a little girl, a member of the Congregational Church, which is the white church at the corner. We had um, a pastor there named Pastor Fritz for many, many years, and that's my childhood church. Uh, Grew up going to church on a pretty regular basis. Um, Spent a lot of years going to church camp, which was amazing and wonderful, and I learned a lot. Well, I thought I learned a lot. going to church camp. Um, I guess the biggest theme throughout most of my life is is that I thought that if you were a good person and you did good things, that God was good to you. And that if for some reason a hiccup or a bump came in the road, it was generally because you did something. Um, You either lied or you did something out of turn or you hurt somebody's feelings. So you get back on the prayer wagon and pray and things get better. And it worked but I thought it worked for a really long time. And um, so growing up, I um, wasn't really boy crazy. I was horse crazy. And my first prayer that was really, really a hard felt prayer that got answered was is that I got my first horse. And I was sure God was real and Jesus was real because I prayed so hard and I got that horse. And so I think... Um, well, that's what you do. You pray. You keep praying. Prayed for two years. Didn't come right away. So I knew that it, sometimes prayers take a while. And, um, but got my horse. Um, fast forward a little bit. Went through high school. 
was not boy crazy, was definitely horse crazy. Um, but I had this sort of stubborn guy. <laughs> Here He's to the right, stubborn. that was a little girl crazy. He's still stubborn, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we met when I was a, in 10th grade. And he went to a rivalry school, of course. And uh, so he was interesting enough that I would, sp- <laughs> I would spend a little time with him, but he had to accept horses. So he came around to be around horses, which come to really find out he really didn't care about the horses. I was naive enough to believe that he was coming because he really wanted to learn about horses. <laughs> Not the case. Um, so we dated in high school and I knew Jason when he was just a, a wee little one. He was younger than us, but, uh, it's funny how life comes around. And so I was, I turned 18 on September 7th and I was a senior in high school and I had gotten engaged that Christmas. Gary asked me to marry him when I was still in high school. And of course, the very first conversation everybody has is, is she's pregnant. Yeah. You know she's pregnant. Nobody gets engaged in high school. And um, so came to find out that that wasn't the case. Got married. I turned 18 on September 7th and got married on September 26th. So he got me really young. And, um, but it was definitely God in our lives. Most people aren't going to make it when you marry that young. But again, he's stubborn. So so we learned that instead of growing up and away from each other, we grew up and together, which was a blessing. Um, We got married on on September 26th, and in November, I got really sick. Um, I had always had sort of some female issues growing up. Bad cramps, that kind of stuff. I won't get too gory on you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, so in November, I got really sick and ended up in the hospital. And um, they had to do some exploratory type surgeries, and they found out that I had one of the worst cases of endometriosis that they had seen. Only 10% of my um, period came out, the rest stayed internally bleeding in me every month. So that's why I was in such pain all the time. The doctor had given us the, you probably won't have children. It's not very likely you will have children. There's a, they gave us like a 10% chance of having children. So we were in no way, shape, or form ready to have kids, let me tell you. We were babies, you know. But they said to us, if you're going to try to have children, now is when you have to do it. And We looked at each other. He was 20. I'm 18. Heck, I didn't even stay the whole night on our honeymoon because I had never been away from home. (laughs) I, like, literally, literally got married and stayed the first time anywhere more than a day and a half away from home. And God love Uncle Bobby because they took, we drove to um, our anniversary, our Poconos honeymoon, and Gary and I were there six hours, and I cried to come home. And we came six hours home. And so that's how young and immature I was. And um, now I'm going to, got to go have a baby? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Um, but they 
were doctors and they knew what they were talking about. So, you know, he always joked and said he pokes for fun and then I took him seriously. Ha, ha, ha. But I ended up getting pregnant and was very blessed and was so thankful, but we did lose that pregnancy. Um, That was hard because we thought that was our one chance. But God again had a plan. And had we not miscarried that baby, I would never have had Alicia. And Casey would not have Alicia to marry. So I got pregnant again in, um, on Gary's birthday, of all things, <laughs> May 22nd. And um, had a normal pregnancy, delivered, and was so blessed. It was like the amazing thing. I'm 19, I'm a mom, he's a dad. And uh, God made it happen. That was our one. You know, we had two chances and we ended up with one. So we were so thankful. Prayed a lot about it. Was so thankful. Probably prayed a little too much because um, four months later, I wasn't feeling great and never got a period. And next thing you know, Beth. (laughs) So God had more than one blessing in our lives. And uh, so at the age of 24, when after we delivered Beth, I had to have a full hysterectomy. So God found Gary, put him in my life at a young age so that I would be a mom. So that was one of my blessings, actually three of my blessings. So our life went on, and our kids grew up, and we were poor, and we attended church on and off, but... You know, life gets busy and you think, oh, well, I believe in God and that is enough. You know, he knows that I'm tired on Sunday. He knows that I have these two kids that are 11 months apart. And to take them to church is going to be heck on people. They're not going to enjoy us coming to church. It was like a three-ring circus wrangling cats. It wasn't going to work. And um, there was always a reason to to not do, you know, but I knew there was a reason that we needed to. Um, So we got, you know, we got married in a church, and we actually um, came to um, Passion when Jason and Jen first started the church over at the um, medical college. We came for a while, and um, we had teenagers then, so you know we really needed... (laughs) We really needed some church then. <laughs> um, and uh, all throughout that time, though, unbeknownst to me, there was something brewing in the, in the background. I wouldn't feel good at different times. Um, I would have doctor's appointments, and they would say, no, everything's good, everything's good. I had had two different surgeries um, after my hysterectomy um, and gallbladder removal and things and always something just felt off and at one appointment my doctor said you're elevated your enzymes for your liver are elevated but don't worry about it it's not a big thing most of america has elevated liver enzymes just watch what you eat you'll be fine so that sat back in the back of my mind and that was you know seven years before i ended up being diagnosed with having liver issues so let me tell you if you have elevated liver enzymes don't trust the doctors and just ignore it. Um, Because even though it's a low percentage of people who develop cirrhosis, you could be one of them. So uh, that would be something I would share with you. 
So fast forward, we have our horses. Gary and I had started loving to ride and go. Our kids were old enough, and we could go without worrying that they were going to burn the house down or, you know, do something horrible. And um, I was in a horrible horse accident where my horse actually reared up and landed on me. Um, And when he landed on me, he landed, I rolled this way, he landed, and then he decided to get up on me. He turned and he was on my legs and I had horrible, horrible bruising. Had some tests done then. They said, something's a little off. You probably should see another doctor. Um, Saw my doctor. He said, oh no, everything's good. You'll be all right. Had another horse accident where his mare threw me in the woods um, with some other people on a ride, and I was knocked unconscious. So this is God saying, no, no, pay attention, pay attention. He kept sending me to these doctors for somebody to tell me that there was something, but everybody kept writing it off, you know. So meanwhile, I'm getting hurt all the time. So I uh, was at the hospital, and the doctor there in the emergency room said, this isn't normal bruising. This is above normal bruising. You don't have anything broken, but you look like you were in a prize fight. So I listened to that doctor, even though my regular doctor did not want to refer me. And, you know, with insurance, you have to be referred to go to anybody, a specialist. Sort of pushed the issue, and he finally did. And they sent me to a doctor who did bone marrow biopsies because my platelet count was so low and they thought I had leukemia. And, you know, this whole time you're on this roller coaster. You're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, yeah, there's something major wrong with you. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with you. So finally they determined that I had something with my liver, but they didn't know what. So they sent me to um, a hepatologist at the Cleveland Clinic. And... You know, you say these prayers when you're there. You're, you know, you have this relationship with God. It's like you know him, but he's like a friend of a friend. So you know of him, but it, I hadn't had that personal one-on-one relationship. I mean, I always thought I was being the good girl and listening and doing the things that I should, but um, I started to realize really quickly that something wasn't going to be good because there's too many things pointing in a direction that was awful scary. Um, my mom came up from Florida and went with me to the doctor, and the first doctor that saw me said, what are you doing in here? You look perfectly healthy. And I, my, I was so like, oh, thank God, somebody thinks I look good, <laughs> thinks I don't look as sick as what I feel or, you know, what they are saying. And um, we left that appointment on a high, um, again, thinking, Gosh, I prayed. I'm a good person. Things good happen to good people. Uh, Nothing bad's going to happen. I'm going to get through this one just like I have other little things that have come up in my life. And found out about 48 hours later when she got back my blood results that I was the sickest, healthiest looking person she had seen in a long time. So unfortunately, um, I had more testing done and found out that I had cirrhosis of the liver. Now, I didn't find out from my doctor. I found out from an ultrasound technician in a room with my daughter, Beth, who's a nurse. And she said, "Um, well, you know you have cirrhosis, so 
you'll just have to ask the doc, talk to the doctor about it when she comes in. And I said, well, I'm not seeing her today. And she goes, oh. So I got to go home and be a Google doctor all weekend long until, and of course, all of it was bad. None of it was good. None of it said anything about curable. All of it said like terminal, life-ending, you know, nothing was good. And I was thinking, I'm 48 years old. I just got to be a grandma. Surely somebody must be wrong like they've been wrong in the past. And no, boy, did I pray. But at the time when I was praying, I, I didn't even know what to pray for. You know, do you pray that they're wrong? Do you pray that there's some chance that there, it's something else? You know, all I could think about was my kids aren't going to have me, my grandkids aren't going to have me, my husband's going to be alone. And I started getting really angry with God. Because I had been good, and I hadn't been a bad person, and I hadn't stolen or intentionally lied or told people things hurtful. Or, and then I started, like, really sort of rebelling over it. Like, why would you do this to me? And I just didn't see how he wasn't doing it to me. Surely if you're this strong and this great and so wonderful and you do so many miracles, where's mine, you know? So my first hepatologist, she seemed like a quack, and I, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> she was... <laughs> I was upset because she thought I looked great, and then she was like, nope, wrong. So I got a... Dr. Lichten, who was a cancer doctor, who was amazingly amazing, um, he was so kind to me, and he, he said, I have a colleague, I, I will ask them him to take your case, because you have to really be referred to get to the, not that Cleveland Clinic has any bad doctors necessarily, but to really get to the ones who've seen it all and done it all, it's almost like you got to know somebody, and so he asked him, and he had given him my name, and he was like, oh, no, he's the head of hepatology, and he isn't taking new patients. And I felt so defeated. So I ended up getting this doctor. His name was McCullum. And in our first appointment, he walked through the door with this big smile on his face like I was there for something other than a horrible diagnosis. And he had no real answers, and anytime I'd ask him something, he'd say, well, we're just going to have to wait and see. We're just going to have to wait and see. Is there anything else I can do? Can I, well, you know, I don't know. You know, you, I said, well, do you know how long I have? And he's like, well, you probably have two years, and then we'll, you'll have to get on a list for a liver transplant, and well, hopefully you'll get one of those, you know, but more than 50% of the people don't. And you sit there, and you're like, oh my God, what an idiot this guy is. 
And I, the last thing I said to him was, and Gary was in the room with me, I said, do you believe in miracles? And he said, no. No, I don't. He said, I've had too many really good people die. And a lot of really horrible people live for a long time. So no, I don't believe in miracles. That killed me. Because that's what I was hanging on as a miracle. Oh, I went into a horrible depression. Spent a lot of time in bed. Feeling sorry for myself and my family. Trying to take snapshots of every single moment that the kids did. I still do that. Appreciating the the moments that you get and it's so true the song that says live life like you're dying. Because you might we all get none of us get out of here alive. We all have an expiration date. I just felt like mine was being told to me. No one wants to hear that. So Gary and I went home and talked about it, and he said, I said, I don't know, I just, I don't think I can see this doctor. And then I thought, well, now I look like a doctor jumper, because I'm like, I didn't like the first girl. And it wasn't that I wanted to hear a different answer, I swear. It was that I just wanted somebody to look at me and go, this really sucks. I also wanted somebody to say, God does do miracles. Because I thought, you know, he could have answered that question way differently that day. He could have looked at me and said, it doesn't really matter what I believe. It matters what you believe. He didn't have to press upon me his own personal view on something with someone in such a fragile state You know, most of the time, your mental state affects how your physical state is. So when you're physically depressed, or mentally depressed, you become physically depressed. And that's where I was. But there there was something coming, and I just didn't see it, and I didn't know. I, uh talked to a colleague at my work and he said hey I have a friend who's the head of anesthesiology at the Cleveland Clinic and I think he could refer you to somebody and I was like hey listen I'll take anything I can well here it comes to be the same doctor that Dr. Lichten had tried to refer me to and he said I had this girl's name I've already heard this girl's name Because earlier God had put the words of my name in somebody else's mouth. And they laid the seed. And he rejected me the first time. But the second time he heard my name, I think he knew that it was meant to be. Whatever his power is, mine's God. And he said, okay, I'll see her. I was never so happy that he agreed to see me. We went there and 
I met with them, and my gosh, what a difference a person can make. He said, don't walk around worrying. Live your life. Enjoy every moment you have. Heck, you can outlive me. He said, I can't tell you how long it's going to be. I can't tell you if you're going to need to be on a liver transplant list. I can't tell you any of that. And I said, well, the last doctor, he goes, I'm sorry that you were told that. The only person that can determine that is the Almighty. We left there so much better here and here. Now, nothing changed. My diagnosis didn't change. I was still sad, but I had this little bit of hope that somebody has at least the thought that there's somebody, a higher power involved because he had already done the plan of putting my name in two different times, which meant to him that it was meant to be. He was meant to see me. So don't stop just because someone tells you. No. All of you can be advocates for anybody. Every prayer you pray for me makes a difference. For each of you, it makes a difference. So I think the more times God hears it, you know, He knows He's needed. And I need Him. And my relationship has changed immensely with God. I um, had shared with some ladies at our meeting that I had been woken up three days in a row with a song, God's Not Done With You Yet. And I said, I just don't know why I keep waking up and I'm actually humming it or saying it and I, I just don't know why. And So I was at Gabriel Brothers and you guys are going to go, oh, here she goes, going to all quiet, you honest. But, <laughs> there's great deals there. Um, <laughs> I was at um, Gabriel Brothers and I had shopped and I went to get in my car and my car's a push button that you, you have the keys in your purse or wherever. As long as it's in the vicinity, your car will start. And just before I pushed my finger on the button, my headlights came on. But it was all in this motion, and I knew that I hadn't touched the button yet. I thought, well, maybe my fingernail did it. Maybe I was close enough, but I didn't actually push it, but my car started. It was the craziest thing. And as soon as it started, God, I don't know if he audibly said it to me or if I heard it in my head, I don't really remember at this point, but he said, I put you through darkness so that you could see the light of my love. And if I had never been in this dark place, I wouldn't know what it's like to look out and see a light. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? What? And then I had this overwhelming feeling of how lucky am I? 
How lucky am I to have the ability to know God like I do now? Because if I hadn't gotten sick, I may have just gone on like I've always gone on, like many of you have gone on, and think you have all this time and you have all this um, thoughts of if I'm good, I think good things are going to happen. And, you know, I've done my share of asking why. And I know I was always taught you don't really ask why. But darn it, I wanted to know why. But he gave me my answer. Because if he hadn't done it, I wouldn't be close to him. So... I'm the fortunate one. Many of you haven't had your moment. Then I pray to God you don't get sick to have it. I pray that you find your relationship with God before that happens. But knowing that if you do get sick or a family member gets sick, It isn't God doing it. He just said he let me be in darkness so that I could see the light of his love. He didn't say, I gave you this illness. He just didn't stop it. Because he knew I had a lesson that I'll forever be grateful for. On a good note, (laughs) two years later, I had some tests done. Um, Every year they want to see how you're doing, and now they've pushed mine back. I used to have to go every six months, and he said, I'm comfortable with you coming every year, and and then every six months we'll just do blood work, and if things stay the same. And I had asked him a question. I said, do you think maybe we could redo one of those tests that you did in the beginning just to see where I'm at, you know, if I'm staying the same or if it's getting worse? And he goes, well, you know, no matter what this test comes back... Amy, you still have cirrhosis. And I said, okay, but I just want to know. I just want to see. Well, when I was first diagnosed, I was diagnosed um, having 66% of my liver be fat. And that's called stenosis, and that causes scarring, and that causes your liver to not filtrate things. When they redid the test... I had zero. Yeah, amen. Now, I still have cirrhosis, but it's not inflamed and it's not flared. And I find it really interesting that the gentleman that is his right-hand man at my doctor's appointment said, because before it was, this is typical NASH, this is how NASH presents it's a blind killer. Nobody knows it's happening. Da, 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 da. Only thing is hot, elevated liver enzymes. And But this time when we went, he said, your case being so different. And I looked at him like, what do you mean different? You, everybody said this is a typical, you know, presentation for Nash. And when the doctor came in, he said, 
I said, you said that um, cirrhosis can't be healed. And he goes, well, I've only seen it happen four or five times myself. I said, but you said it can't be. And he says, it's not very common. And I said, I'm not common. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And not in a bad way. (laughs) No. So, um, the update on my health is is that things are going as good as can be expected. Um, Things are good for now. And at some point, if God so sees that things change... I might be asking you all for a lover. <laughs> but uh, just know that when you're young, and I see young girls out here, know that it does make a difference what you say and do because all you have is your word and you do the best you can do and you pray. And I pray that each one of you, everybody here, has a stronger relationship with God, not because you make a mistake or because you get sick, but because you really seek it and you really look for it on your own because people can only help you so much. You have to do the work on your own. So thank you. So one of the things that, uh, you know, I just want to fill in a, a couple of things. Amy has cirrhosis of the liver, which is often uh, common for people who drink. Amy has not drank in her life. Uh, she doesn't drink. And that's, that's been true all her life. I mean, I, I can attest as being a family member, I know that. So, um, and so it, it's just amazing that God has used a disease that's usually in some other form to affect her on her life. But one of the things I love about her story is that God used this situation in her life to bring her closer to him. Uh, her life, Buddy's life, their family's life is completely different today because of their, their illness and, and because of her illness, I should say, and because of what she's going through. But, but isn't it amazing that God uses situations like that to pull us closer to him because he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be there. And so what I want to encourage all of you through her testimony is to thank God for even the things that you go through. You know, all of the bad things we go through are very difficult things. But there are opportunities to bring us closer to God. There are opportunities to draw ourselves unto him. And that's what he wants. He wants us to be closer to him. And if it takes cirrhosis of the liver, then it's the best thing that could ever happen. Not that we want it to. I will add, um, so that song that I was telling you about that was playing in my head all the time um, when I woke up in the mornings... The um, it's by Torin Wells, mm-hmm. and um, it has a section in it that is really interesting, and I wanted to share it with you because I couldn't figure out why he kept um, come on, I'm so technically crappy, <laughs> or my phone is technically crappy. It just, at the bottom it says, um, in part of the the verse it says, there's a light you don't notice until you're standing in the dark. So I thought that was really interesting, that 
that song kept playing and that is the same sort of thing that God said to me, you know, you were in darkness so that you could see the light of my love. And there's a light that you guys don't notice because you haven't been in the dark yet. So So let me end with this. Uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you in this room has a testimony. Each and every one of you in this room has a story to tell. There's a, they're, they're, um, the stories that we are called to tell are the stories of what God has changed us. Not only do you have a story, you also have a commandment from Jesus to go forth and tell your story. And what I really want to do is, and, and what I'm, I want to encourage you to do, is think about your story. Think about what your story. If you're setting up here, I mean, we've had four wonderful testimonies over the last month. But if you're setting up here telling people, what would your story be? What has happened to you? What, what has God done to you? See, a testimony isn't just about God doing what he's done in Amy's life or what he's done in Pat's life or what he's done in Mary and Clarence's life or what he's done in, my, in Jen's life. A testimony is what God has done in your life. Sometimes it's a test. Sometimes it's a medical test you have to go through. But sometimes it's just the glory of who God is. And the stories have to, the stories, a testimony, a story to tell is what God has done in your life. Sometimes that's what God has brought you from the bottom of. Sometimes as Christians, I love to hear this man's story behind me here because God had him at the bottom of a barrel. And drugs and alcohol were, well, I don't know about drugs, but alcohol were definitely a, a place of that. I don't want to put that in your mind, Jess, so sorry. Uh, but alcohol was, a, was part of his story. And he was at the bottom of the... And, but when he gave his life, when he, when he fully gave that over to God, God brought him out of that, and that's his story. Each and every one of us in this room has a story to tell. Sometimes it's our salvation story, how God came into our life and saved us. But oftentimes, it's not just that. Amy has known the Lord for many years, but it wasn't until going through cirrhosis that she really had a really close relationship, and God brought her into that relationship with him. And so your story could be just as simply as what God has saved you from, or sometimes it's what God is doing in your life today, and how God is saving, saving you. Now, listen, I, I'm going to tell you then, so I'm going to end with this. I believe, and I told Amy this, that God is healing her. And I believe that God is doing a miracle in her life. And, I, and that's my, that has been my prayer, that will always be my prayer, and it will constantly be my prayer, that God heals her and does a miracle in her life. I believe that. And we can see that testimony coming true before our eyes. Now, this is a wonderful story. But here's, here's, here's my challenge to all of you. My challenge to all of you is that you need to tell your story. The gospel is the good news of Christ. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done inside our lives. If we just sit here and be quiet about the stories of what God has done in our life, then this story of what God has done in Amy's life, the story of what God has done in Pat's life, the story that God has done in your life will be quiet, will be silent. You'll never be able to change people. Her story is going to change someone. God doesn't put you through something just to have you go through something. God puts you through a story so that you can have a testimony so that you can change other people's lives. There are people in your lives right now that are late, waiting for and needing to hear your story. But you've got to be up and about it. You've got to go and do it. Because not everyone's going to be able to stand on a stage or sit on a stage and share their story. But you have a story to tell. So I want to encourage you. If you need help crafting your story, let me know. I'll come and help you. I'll come and sit down with you like I did with all of these 
people and sit down in your kitchen and sit down in your living room, eat your food if you want to feed me. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, I didn't eat Amy's because she did tuna casserole. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. Uh, I'll pass on the tuna casserole, thanks. Uh, but no, thank you. But, but, it was cheesy tuna casserole. It was cheesy tuna. It, and it looked good if you like tuna. I'm just not a big fan. But anyway, that's okay. But God has a story for you to tell. And I want to encourage you to, to begin to craft that story so that you can go and share with other people because people need to hear your story. So I'm gonna, we're going to walk down. We're going to sing this worship song. And then what I want to encourage you as we sing this worship song, we stand with us now. But what I want to encourage you to think is to think about who in your life can share your story. Who in your life can you tell your story? Sorry. Who in your life can hear your story? Can you be bold? Will you be bold and go and share your story with the people around you? It needs to be told. It's time for your story to be told. Let's sing this worship song together.